I don't think it came up in the announcements, but uh, I need the remote. Happy Mother's Day. Did we say that already today? No, I was saying that to some uh, young person, and he says to me, oh, I'm not a mother. I said, well, yeah, but before you were born, there was no mother in your family. You were the reason that she became a mother. So happy Mother's Day to everybody. Those who are mothers, those who are not, those who will never be because they're males. God bless you all, and happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, we happen to fall into a time of the year on... You know, I like to talk to you about the Jewish calendar a lot, but I want to talk to you about the Muslim calendar today. And on this, in this period of May 6th to the uh, 4th of June is the month of Ramadan. And uh, for us as Christians, our love for every person on the planet drives us to pray for specific people groups at different times. And we are currently joining with many other millions who across the globe are praying for Muslims that during Ramadan that they would have an encounter with Jesus in a way that they have never had. That they would discover God, and they would discover Him in His love and in His goodness, as they are seeking to please God through their fast and through their uh, devotion, that this would be a time of encounter. Okay? So if you visit 30daysprayer.com, you will find all kinds of resources. It's up at the top of the screen. I know it's very small. But if you just remember 30 days of Ramadan and prayer, 30daysprayer.com, you'll land on it and you'll, feel, you'll see uh, amazing things. They have a 30-day prayer guide. Last year, I handed some out and some of you grabbed them for adults and for children. And uh, in this prayer guide, you can download it. It's like $2.50 US for the guide. You can download a PDF and uh, it's at worldchristian.com. But if you go to 30-day prayer, you'll be able to jump to that immediately from there. On this prayer guide, you'll notice that it has the 30 days, and each day is on a different page. And we happen today to fall on day 7, which is specifically prayer for the Maldives. Anybody know anything about the Maldives? It's beautiful. It is gorgeous. It's a little set of islands. It's a t- little. It's like 1,200 little tiny, tiny islands all, yeah, it's, it's just a group of islands just west of the Horn of India. At the bottom there, you see it. And I have a little video clip that is actually a prayer. And if you're interested in following this guide, if you download it and follow it, each day as you pray for a different nation, right? As you pray for the different nations that are listed here, You'll find on this next website that you see the link at the bottom of the video, they have prayers for every nation in the planet. And they are focusing on the different uniquenesses of that nation and praying specific things. So don't just watch the video, but participate in prayer with it. Align your heart to pray as we pray for the Maldives. We have sound? So in terms of the Maldives, some of the prayer ideas is... It's, a, it's a, actually a Muslim state, an Islamic state, not an Islamic state, but it's a Muslim state. And uh, the drug addiction is huge in the Maldives. Despite the fact that they're a religiously Muslim community, there is oppression of any other ideology other than Islam. And they, we are praying for them to know Jesus. You'll find more details in the actual prayer as we hear it.
Abba Father, we join Jesus at your right hand even now, joining in his intercession for the country of Maldives. We pray in faith that there is a remnant that knows you and loves you in Maldives. We pray for that remnant that remain nameless and faceless in their country or dare to risk their lives, that they would hear your voice calling them by name. In their deepest loneliness, we ask that you would reveal to them that you are in their life more than anyone could ever be. Connect secret believers to others who believe. Strengthen them and brand them with your likeness, with a spirit of forgiveness towards those who have persecuted them. Jesus, work through the tourist industry to open doors for the gospel to penetrate a walled country hardened by the deception of Islam. Cause a spiritual discontentment in Maldivians. God, help them to name their emptiness for what it is and seek what can truly nourish and satisfy. You spoke and you still speak and you speak their heart language. We pray for the Maldivian people to awaken in the night to an encounter with you through dreams and visions and hear your invitation in their heart language and be amazed that you would come to them. Release in them a deep yes for you, your way, and your purposes for them. Release in them your holy permission to choose your better way for them, a way of relationship, not just rules and regulations. As the Maldivian people sit tormented by fear, help them know that you have the power over the jinn and the evil eye that they fear so much, over powers and principalities, over the father of lies. Deliver them from fear into a certainty of your mercy that knows no bounds. Help them know that you have the power over sin and darkness and can give them an everlasting covenant of peace. We pray, Jesus, for your true name and nature to be made known in this nation. We pray that the state's contradictions and heavy-handedness towards Christianity would generate curiosity. Plague seeking Maldivians with questions that lead them to you. Beautiful are the feet of those who carry your good news. Lord of the harvest, we pray that you would raise up laborers for the lost people in Maldives. Pour out your favor on any translation work in progress so that the gospel would be translated into the language of the Maldivian people. We entrust Maldives to you knowing that you want to reach this country. For your namesake, for your kingdom come, we pray in Jesus' name. Let it be. So the map.
we uh, are following in these 30 days shows us all the different people groups that we're praying for. Many of them are nations, as you can see. Some of them are groups, people groups within specific nations. So, for example, on day 15, we're praying specifically for the Muslims in Chicago. Uh, there's a large, large Muslim representation in Chicago. And on day 24, we're praying for Muslims across the U.S. in general. There is also, on day 26, it's a specific night called the Night of Power, where there's a lot of prayer, a lot of focus throughout the month of Ramadan. But on the Night of Power, they uh, prepare themselves to have a special deep encounter with the Lord. So we are praying that that night, many would actually have encounters with the Lord. Right? So that their prayer seeking God would be answered. I want to draw your attention to a couple of areas. A few weeks ago when Wanda was with us, she mentioned that we are, a, as a church, we're small, but we pack a punch that takes us to have impact globally. Do you remember that? One of the areas of involvement that you have through me here in the city of Toronto and across Canada is with a group called SAT7. SAT7 is an organization that was started by an Englishman who was kicked out of Egypt. He was a missionary working in Egypt in the publishing world. He would be publishing evangelistic magazines, going, distributing them all across the Arab world. But every time he would cross a border with his magazines, they would stop them and they would rip out the sections that are talking about Jesus. So it was just a colorful magazine without a message. And eventually he got kicked out of Egypt and ended up in Cyprus where he was praying, asking God, why did this happen? What am I to do? I have a heart for these people. I have a heart for letting them know about your love. But right now, I'm shut up. And so the Lord spoke to him and said to him, no, you're not. I'm giving you tools so that you can cross borders without anyone stopping you. I'm helping you now have a vision for television broadcasting of the gospel across the satellites so no border can actually stop it. And uh, that ministry started over 25 years ago. It started with two hours a week programming, and it's now gone to four channels, 24-7. So I want to show you the footprint of where Sat7 broadcasts. Come up here. This is the footprint of the broadcast of the Sat7 satellites. And it's broadcasting in Arabic. It broadcasts one channel in Arabic, one channel in Arabic specifically for children. A lot of the programming now on the Arabic channel for children is educational, specifically targeting children that have been displaced in the Middle East, that are living in tent villages, that don't have access to schools anymore. So all of that is happening through here. It is broadcasting across in Farsi and in Turkish. So it really literally covers the majority of the what we used to call the 1040 window or the Muslim world. And you have a part with that by releasing me to step into my role as the chair of Set7 Canada in everything that I'm doing here. We've been uh, working together now. And it's interesting because the people that I'm working with that invited me to join the board are the Egyptians that I used to worship with as a little 17, 18-year-old boy when we were at Knox Presbyterian at the chapel. And many of them have grown older and I've grown older. And they're the ones that have established this ministry and invited me to step in and help them out with what we're doing. So you have a role with that, and you have a participation in that. You have an inheritance in that. I want you to be aware of that. But I also want to talk a little bit more about who they're impacting. 
Pastor Milton, who is one of the Sat7 Pars counselors, receives hundreds of calls every week from Iran. On WhatsApp and on other social media, he actually receives voice messages and communicates back and forth in Farsi, he's Iranian, in Farsi with Iranians that are seeking God. Uh, if we have the, the sound ready, I have a video clip. This man here. Hello, my name is Vahan. I'm serving in a church as a pastor and also presenter of the program Behind the Veil. We are on the set of the program here in the Sasela Studios in Istanbul, Turkey. My dream is to see this. One day we will open the doors of our church and we will see hundreds of people who were waiting that time. And we will ask, who are you? Where do you come from? They said, we saw Jesus on TV. Then we decided that we need to go to worship to God. In my street, the street that I live, I met with the people who fix the water pipes and electricity. And he said, hey, I'm watching your program. That's great. And I was shocking. How it is possible? Just a man from street. I didn't met hundreds of people. I didn't met thousands of people. I don't know how many people are watching. But one thing I know, the people that God chose, they are seeing this. God is touching those people and God wants to change their life. Vahan is an Armenian who lives in Istanbul. He's raised and grown up there. Uh, when Aaron and I were in Istanbul for the uh, uh, ATPI, the Armenia Turkish Peace Initiatives, we met with him. He's a great young man who uh, has a huge heart for Turks to come to know Jesus as he knows Jesus. And uh, he's working with Sat7. I didn't know that at the time. I discovered the video just a few days ago. And uh, he's doing a great job. He's uh, very effective in his communication in the original Turkish language. You, you may have caught some English uh, challenges that he has, but that's not the point. This is his dream. His dream is that people would flock to the churches in Istanbul and in Turkey, having seen Jesus on television. But others are seeing Jesus in dreams. And this is a young Afghan, not his picture, but this is just a generic picture. This young Afghan by the name of, uh, where is he? Uh, Rad. Rad had a couple of dreams in the same week that he could not understand. And he kept asking people and he didn't get satisfaction. And then he saw something on television through Sat7 and it caught his imagination. And he started to inquire. He called and asked them about what's going on. They sent him a Bible. He's now got a Bible, and he's a follower of Jesus, and he has new life, and he is delighted. You have a part to do with that. What we're doing in Canada is not preparing the broadcasts. What we're doing in Canada is linking with dollars to what is going on through Cyprus. So we raise funds here because we believe in the vision, and we send it to Cyprus or Lebanon or Egypt or wherever production is taking place, Turkey, and it affects and brings people to know Jesus. So when, Mary, when, uh, Mary, when Wanda was talking about us having punch and impact bigger than our size, believe it. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. The Lord wants not just to work through me as a connection point to all of these things, but he wants to enlarge it so that we each have our impact. A few weeks ago, you heard from Lara and uh, Esther, who had gone to Cambodia and had shared the gospel. 
There's many others that are doing the same silently within the seats that are sitting here. You're doing it. And the Lord is going to allow us to be able to hear about it, to see it, to manifest the glory of it. And we're going to see the impact of all these things. So if you look at the broadcast map, the heart of it, where it started, was this area here. This broadcast map is really a much bigger area, right? So they're broadcasting, Sat 7 is broadcasting all across North Africa and the Middle East, in Farsi and in Turkish. And this really represents the area of my travels in the last couple of three years. You've been wondering, what is he doing every time he goes away? We're putting money behind this, we're investing in this, we're sacrificing, we're doing all of these different things. I want to take a few moments and just share a little bit so that you have context. And I want to glorify God through this so that you understand what it is that we're doing when, I, when, when we're traveling. Last couple of weeks ago, Silva and I were, when I'm, uh, were in Amman. I was scheduled to go with the others to the Emirates, to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. That didn't happen. I ended up coming home soon because, or sooner because of the, uh, the passing of my uncle. But I want to show you a couple of things. This is the map from Google Maps. But if you turn satellite on, this is what it looks like. It's a desert. It's a desert. It's dry. It's barren. Not much grows. If you want vegetables, you've got to import them. They water a lot. Iran has a lot of greenery up at the top there by Tehran, and that's where a lot of the people have moved to the north. And that's why you find even in cities like Toronto, Iranians love to live in the north. Right? North York, Richmond Hill. Seriously. Think about it. Why? Because they're used to the idea that that's where life is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not exaggerating. This is a reality. Okay? It's a true reality. It's the same with Egypt. Up north. Everything else is dry down the Nile, but up north in the delta is where greenery is. That sets the mindset for wanting to live in the northern areas. And, and, I, and I don't mean northern hemisphere. I mean within a city, they live in the northern parts. Anyway, but I want to draw your attention to something. When did this become dry? Because that wasn't the case. And this is... The focus of our travel has been in this area. Even though I've spent some time in Germany and some time in England and some time in France, connecting with some of the people there, the bulk of my travel has been in the Middle East. Not just myself, but a few others in the church. So myself, Silva, Aaron, so far this is my family, immediate family, but Salpi has been also in the region. Uh, she's been to Armenia. And Armenia is just up here. It's at the top end. And this highway that, uh, that we read about, let's just look at the scripture. Isaiah 19 has a prophecy about the end times. And within that prophecy, it says, in that day. What day? We can actually begin to claim that that day has come. Because of what we are seeing. When we were in Jordan, let me tell you what happened. When we were in Egypt in October for the gathering, there was a few, like a handful, of Israeli Messianic Jews that had come. And they brought with themselves a heart of peacemaking. And the meetings ended on October 6th, which was the launch day many, many years ago of the last war that took place between Egypt and Israel. It was a significant day. 
That war, Egypt lost decidedly. Egypt was winning all along until the American government started to airlift tanks and airplanes and different things to help Israel to defeat the army that had made its way through the Sinai and had a clear line of sight to Jerusalem and to Tel Aviv. Israel was going to be destroyed by Egypt and Jordan and uh, Syria. But at that point, the United States stepped in and the war shifted. Out of that, Egypt, Anwar Sadat, had the political clout to be able to orchestrate with the Americans and with uh, the Israelis a peace agreement that lasts to this day. Egypt and Israel have not been to war since 1973. So we owe that to this war. So the Israelis came with gifts, and there were two stones, little pieces of stone, one from a monument in Egypt that Israel had sent as a memorial of the fact that there's now this peace treaty, and another one from Israel where the Egyptians sent a memorial. They exchanged memorials, in other words. So they brought little chips of stone from those memorials, and they brought them with them to say that our governments have brought this agreement into place, and we as the church step into that agreement and say that we are undivided, As members of the body of Christ, we will continue to live in peace and we will grow this peace to affect all the nation and the nations in the area. This was happening just as a small token. It was five Jews and a bunch of, you know, a few hundred, 1,500 Egyptians. But those were the seeds. The Bible talks about the corruptible and the uncorruptible seed. This was an uncorruptible seed that started. The Egyptians felt a huge hunger to go and to meet with their Israeli cousins. And they are cousins. Hagar was the mother of Ishmael. Isaac was the son of uh, Sarah. Cousins, Ishmael and, uh, and the, like the, the descendants of Isaac and the descendants of the Egyptians are cousins. So they wanted to go meet with their cousins. And when they talk, they talk about the cousins. Let's go visit the cousins. But for Egyptians to go to Israel is a physical impossibility still. Even though there's peace, because of the tensions that still exist with the Palestinians, an Egyptian to go to Israel isn't a very popular thing. And for Israelis with Israeli passports to come to Israel is pretty darn close to impossible. So what they have to do is use their U.S. or European passports and they travel with those. So as we were in Egypt and all of this was going on and the desire of both of these were to come together... In October, November, we were back. Uh, As we were talking about this, the Jordanians heard about it and said, why don't we host them here? We have a great relationship with Israel. We have a great relationship with Egypt. This is going to be a safe place. Let them come here and we will host them and we will make the space available for them. And that's what happened. So this last trip was that. It was meant to be between 50 and 70 Arabs from the Middle East, Israelis, Jordanians, And it was just a small gathering. But all of a sudden, people heard about it. And nations and nations and nations all sent representatives. And it ended up being over 200 people. What was supposed to be 50 to 70 quadrupled and became over 200. So we were in the midst of that. But look at the scripture and how it's being now fulfilled. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Jordan is in the historic land of what Assyrian empire looked like during the time of this prophecy. Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come into Egypt. And that's happened. 
and the Egyptians and the, uh, into the Assyrians, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. And that's happened a few times already. We've had representation. And this is not something that happens all the time. It wasn't happening before this. It's only recently that it's beginning to happen, where Egyptians are going to the different nations in Assyria, and Syria and Iraq, and, and they're spending time and investing time in ministry and sacrificing to worship with them, not just to evangelize them. Okay? It's not about evangelism. It's about worshiping with the church that's there. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria. And when that happens, that these three people, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, and the, Israeli, the Israelis, worship together. When that actually happens, watch for it, there will be a blessing in the midst of the earth. In other words, the energy that we're spending, the money you're investing, the trips that we're taking, is all for this one goal. That out of the brotherhood and the sisterhood and the unity that comes out of the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Israelis, that we will be benefactors and recipients of the blessing that will impact every nation on the planet. We're talking about the end time harvest. We're talking about people from every nation knowing who Jesus is as God, as Savior, as their own lover and their own personal and corporate Savior. This is the answer to Jesus' prayer where the Father says to him, Ask of me and I will give you the nations. It's all related to what happens when these three nations that are really relatives, they're one family. Let me explain. So what he says is this, And whom the Lord of hosts has blessed. God has blessed these people. You say, but Egypt was cursed. Pharaoh there was the curse and the sons of Pharaoh, all the firstborn sons of Egypt died. Yes, there's a reason. Let me explain. Blessed is Egypt, my people, God says. It's not just Egypt, the world, the way we have understood it. That's true that it is a type of the world that God called Israel out of it. But it also has a lot more richness than just that type. Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands. He spent time forming the people of Assyria. And the people of Assyria are the, the people groups that make up Turkey, Armenia, Iran, uh, uh, Azerbaijan, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia. All of that is made up, making up Assyria. And there's many other small groups in there that I forgot about, but he hasn't. And Israel, my inheritance. This is how God talks about this. When these three, Egypt, Assyria, and Israel, align themselves in a relationship of covenant that starts with a small seed, and that's what we have witnessed. A small seed. When that small seed is birthed, now you're thinking, okay, this is so big. How does this affect me? A blessing in the midst of the earth. When there's a blessing that lands on the whole earth, you are a recipient of what the impact of that is. Don't think that it's far away and it doesn't affect you. Let me give you some, some, some you know, wake-up call uh, realities. Every time that these people have gotten together, there's something that shifted globally. It sounds weird. It sounds like I'm trying to make it bigger than it is. And the skeptic can probably think, okay, yeah, well, these things would have happened anyway, you know. Okay. The Lord spoke to us a number of years ago, and he spoke specifically about a target. And the Lord appeared on a horse and had a spear in his hand. And he aimed the spear at the target. And when he threw the target and it landed in the bullseye, the Lord said, now 
the clock ticks. Now the process begins. And all of a sudden you move back and you realize that that bullseye was actually the sun, the red sun on the map, on the flag of Japan. Wow, the clock ticks. What happened in Japan? So far, the Japanese church is under 1%, about half a percent. And for a church to remain for the length of time that Japan has maintained the church at half a percent is near impossible. Because either it will die or it will grow. But it has continually stayed there for, hun- for, for hundreds of years. And what happened was on the, uh, I think it was July 4th, 2000, there was a gathering that was held in Okinawa. And it was on July 1st to the 3rd in 2014. The gathering ends, and on July 4th, the announcement is made by ISIL that they are now the Islamic State. Coincidence? Maybe. Okay? But as you continue, and you continue to watch what's going on, the, uh, we just had a gathering in March. And a gathering was being held in Japan, in Kyoto. And the reason that all of this is related to Japan is really weird because it relates to the gods of Egypt. The gods of Egypt, the gods of the sun of Egypt have been exported and they have landed in the far east. And you'll notice the gods, the son of God is functional and very active in Japan, in China, and in Korea. Amen? Do you agree? Those of you from that region, have you seen the effects of the sun god and his manifestation and everything that happens? The sun god is the reason that you have the flag of Japan as the sun. It's called the land of the rising sun. In Korea, it's the same thing. It's the sun in the middle of the flag. And within that, North Korea has the same thing. And for the emperor in Japan to become the emperor, he actually goes through a ritual where he joins himself spiritually to the sun god. You can look all this stuff up. It's not you know, difficult to find. It's all over Google. It's not a mystery. It's not a secret. And in China, the same thing. The sun god has really affected the three or the, the, the far east in that way. So as all of this is going on, Egypt becomes the key to what's going on. So the clock has started and it started to tick. And we're seeing shifts that happen internationally as this is going on. I mentioned to you that the footprint of all the focus of Sat 7 is this area here. And it's the area that's barren. It wasn't always barren. In Genesis 13, where uh, Abraham and his men are fighting, and his men and, and Lot's men are fighting, it says to us that Abraham spoke to Lot, and Lot looked about him and saw the plain of Jordan that was the land on the east side of the Jordan River. The land right here on the east side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is a tiny little river that's in there. And the land to the east of it was well watered. It was green. It was like the land of Egypt. Egypt was green. And he actually compares it to the land of the Garden of the Lord. The Garden of Eden. It was just as green and lush and fertile as that land. Something has happened. What happened? Joel gives us the prophecy that helps us understand this. At the end of the book of Joel, it speaks of Egypt becoming a desolation. Edom, desolate wilderness, because of the violence done to the people of Judah in whose land they have shed innocent blood. There's many Christians that are being persecuted all over the world. In China, 
in India, in Sri Lanka, you just heard about the bombings. Those that are now beginning to actively persecute the church like never before were those that persecuted the church back in the day when they started a new movement that came out of Saudi Arabia. Islam has always had its eye on Jews and Christians because they are the ones of the book who have been infidels. And they attack them all across the same land that I'm talking to you about. So the land became desolate because of the killing of the innocent blood of the inhabitants of the region. So why am I telling you all this? Well, Jordan was established as a nation by two mothers. Two mothers. The daughters of one man who looked at... What happened here? I shut it down? No? Okay. That's lovely. Okay, here we are. Are we back yet? Jordan was established by two women, the daughters of Lot, who realized that after the judgment came on Sodom and Gomorrah, that they were not going to be able to marry because their husbands weren't there. They didn't have any husbands. And the judgment had destroyed the entire city. So they decided that they were going to sleep with their father, one the first night, one the second night, and they had kids with, his, with their father. The firstborn daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. If you know the word Ab in Arabic and Aramaic and Hebrew and all kinds of other uh, Semitic languages over there, it means father. So she literally named her son the one of my father. The second one had a second boy, and she named him, and Moab is down here in Jordan. It's right by the Dead Sea. The other one had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. Ben means a son of, Ami means my people. So she's saying that he's a relative of my, she, like he's not a foreigner. He's the, 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 you know, not, she's not going to name him Moab, that's taken. But she named him the son of my people. And that became the center of their population, became what is now called the city of Amman. So Jordan is actually made up of these two populations. So let's now go back to Happy Mother's Day. And let me talk to you a little bit in the next 12 minutes about what I'm really trying to get at through all of this that really makes it drive home for us as a church. I've given you the big picture. You have a little bit more understanding of why we're spending our time all over the place and planes and trying to get to different places to affect different things. And our role when, it, when we're traveling is simply facilitators of peacemaking. We're bringing people together to sit at the same table. So I want us to, to step back and... The first chapter of the New Testament is the first chapter of Matthew. So within that chapter, Matthew names five mothers in the line of Jesus. I'm just going to read the scripture and I'm going to make some comments and we're going to land this. On account, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. 
and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. All of a sudden, a woman introduced in the mix of all these men and the genealogy. Tamar. And Perez, and the, uh, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Aram, and Aram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nahshon, Nahshon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, another woman. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, yet a third woman. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Three women so far. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, another woman, but she doesn't get to get her name listed. Hmm. Interesting. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah. Do you ever get bored when you're reading this list in Matthew, and you just want to get on to the rest of the story? Don't. Take time. It's full of rich nuggets. I'll share a few with them with you today. Okay. And Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and Jeconiah and his brothers, and at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salithiel, and Salithiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud, and Abiud was the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father. These people earned a place in eternal scripture, having their name listed. They're not just pass by and forget about. If we had time to go through each one of their stories, you would be blown away. I'm only going to focus on the five women. Uh, where am I? Eliezer and Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, woman number five, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Why would Matthew who is writing this gospel that every Bible scholar will tell you, this gospel is written for the people of Israel. This gospel is not meant for the general population of the Gentiles. It was written specifically to introduce Jesus, the Messiah, to his people. His people are familiar with genealogies. If you read the book of, name it, in the Old Testament, Right? First Kings, First Samuel, Second Samuel. You have all these lists. If you go to Genesis, you have all these lists. If you go to the book of Numbers, you have all these lists. Why? And all these lists are only men. Why would Matthew take this book of 28 chapters and he's writing it to Jews, Israelites, why would he inject five women that would possibly stumble them about the fact that this genealogy is not just men? Well, because he knows something, he's drawing attention to the fact. So let's look at these five women and who they are. The first one is a woman called Tamar. Tamar was the wife of On. uh, I forget his first name now, but he was the son of Judah. Judah was living in the land uh, in the land of Canaan, and he went to the village or the town of the Adalamites. And he took a wife from among them. 
In other words, he took a wife as a Canaanite. At that time, the people of Israel were just a small tribe, the descendants of Abraham. It was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, Judah was one of the sons of Jacob. So we're only three, four generations from the time of the covenant with Abraham that this is happening. And he saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He married her and went into her. She conceived and bore a son and he named him Ur. Again, she conceived and bore a son called Onan. And yet another son and uh, she named him Shelah. And uh, she was in Shebiz where she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. That's a little bit of a story about who Tamar was. So when we're looking at Tamar, Tamar was the first one that's mentioned in the list. She's not even an Israelite. She's not a member of the tribe of Israel. But somehow, God took a woman out of the nations of the Canaanites that he wanted to move out of that land and brought her into the bloodline of Jesus. The second was Rahab. What do we know about Rahab? When the spies went into uh, Jericho from Joshua's Joshua's time, they went in and they found this woman who was a prostitute in Jericho. The third was Ruth. Ruth, what do we know about her? What is a Moabite? I just finished explaining it to you. Moab was the daughter of Lot that slept with her father. She had a son in incest, and she called him Moab. And Moab and Ammon, to this day, they honor this God that is still active in the land, Molech or or whatever other name you want to express for him. But they sacrifice children to him. The very thing that she wanted, they became bonded in bondage, sacrificing their children to him. And then the wife of Uriah. Who was the wife of Uriah? She was the woman that was bathing on her roof, and King David, when everybody was at war, looked over there, and, wow. And he looked at this woman, and he said, who is that woman? And they told him, that Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the daughter of so-and-so. He says, bring her to me. All his men are at war, and he's happy, happy, sitting in his balcony, watching this woman bathing, and he sleeps with her. She goes back home, and she sends word that she just conceived. The Bible doesn't name her, I don't think because the Bible views her as an adulteress. The dynamic of a woman and a king and him wanting her would not imply, even if there was consent, the power imbalance would make it more like rape. Think about it for a minute. Right? The power imbalance makes her a victim. And we have a lot of victims in our society who power imbalance have caused them to become abused women. They're not named to honor them. It's not not named to shame her. I I get goosebumps as I'm just saying these words. She's not named because she is the nameless one that represents so many thousands of women that throughout history have been abused. But she remains as one of those that has become in the lineage of Jesus. And then there's Mary. So if we look at all these, a Canaanite, a prostitute in Jericho, a prostitute in Jericho that told them, listen, I'm not going to tell you about you coming in to spy the land because I want you to remember me when you come with your God who's going to destroy the city. Remember me and my family and save us. She had a faith that was inside that the God of this group of spies that was coming into the land is a stronger and truer God than the God of Jericho. A wife of another. 
And I put her that way as, as the victim. And an unlikely virgin. God has taken all of these women and he has somehow managed to, to bring out of them wisdom. Why? How? Well, Tamar, her husband, died before she could give birth or, or get pregnant. According to the law, she was supposed to now marry his brother and his brother is supposed to give her a son on behalf of his dead brother. He didn't want to. The second, and, and God killed him because he didn't, when they were having uh, relationships, he didn't allow her to get pregnant. He just did what he did and he stopped the, uh, the intercourse and, and she didn't get pregnant. God killed him because he wasn't submitting to the plan of God to have the, the seed continue. His brother denied it. He didn't want to do the same thing. He didn't want to die. So she ended up playing the harlot in the market so that Judah bought her services. She got him pregnant, or she got pregnant by him. And she asked for his signet ring and his staff. And she used that to let him know that that was her that he slept with when he went and hired a prostitute. And he called her more righteous than himself. Her tenacity and her determination to bear the seed of what God was causing to happen. Even though she was not a Jew. She was not in the family of Abraham. She was a Canaanite woman. She heard and saw something and she applied herself to it. Rahab was a prostitute who lived with hope and with faith. These are characteristics of the women that make it in the bloodline of Jesus. Ruth was a Moabitess who loved Naomi and said, I will do anything. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. She left her family. She left Moab. And she traveled with Naomi back to Israel where she was now redeemed by the kinsman. Boaz, long story. But the point is, all of a sudden, she had been married to Naomi's son who died. She was a widow with no kids. And somehow she wanted to continue on with the God of this woman, Naomi, her mother-in-law. How many girls pour themselves out to care for their mother-in-law in that way? But she did. She showed love and devotion. The wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, she demonstrated redemption and restoration. And the way she did this was by submitting herself to her abuser. King David had no right to her. He knew that. She knew that. He actually went and sent her husband to come back from the war so that he could sleep with her, so that he could say that the pregnancy is by him. And the man would not sleep with his own wife because the men were at battle let alone the king who slept with this man's wife. There was blood on his hand, so he sent him back to the front to get him killed. She silently watched all of this. She remained devoted to the God of the plan, because the plan wasn't working according to her own schedule. But she submitted herself to this. This is one very big dysfunctional family of Abraham. From every side, you find that those that were not members of the family, the Canaanite, you find that those who were cousins, the daughters of Lot... Where are we? The, the Moabite. We find that the people of Jericho who were condemned. God has a plan to bring everyone into redemption. When the family of God's covenant man, Abraham, is aligned in itself well with him and with the plan of being one family, it's amazing what will happen as far as a blessing all over the earth. And the last one, Mary, was just a woman who knew love and sacrifice. She gave it all. Her reputation as a virgin who was pregnant before she was married. In a society that would judge her as being a loose girl. But she obeyed God and she submitted herself to it.
when this family of Abraham, who God made a covenant with in, Hebrew, in Genesis 12, Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. And through you, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Actually, it says all families of the earth will be blessed. When this family gets its act together, and I'm so excited about us here as a group, as a congregation, as an expression of the church in this locality. As I was in worship, I was just, in, just bubbling over, watching a young girl sitting with a couple that she just loves. And just hugging and kissing. You know who I'm talking about, right? She's just loving on you. There's no blood relationship, but she's just tightly with you and wants to be like close to you. And I saw a young man just reach over and hug his dad. And his dad hug him back. We've become a family that is knit together across boundaries, across generations. And the Lord is bringing this as a representation of just one family. We come from different backgrounds and different streams, but he's doing this globally. And what we witnessed in Jordan when Egypt and Assyria and Israel stood together, there was a wedding tent that was set up. They didn't know where to fit the people. The campus or the the campground that we were renting could not accommodate 220 people in the room. The room wasn't big enough. It was big enough for 70, maybe 100. Stretch it, you know. But this was double, triple the size. So they put up a room, a, a tent. The guy that they reached out to was an Armenian who does wedding planning. And all his tents are wedding tents. So it ended up being a tent of wedding, in the, you know, with the veils and everything else. Beautiful decor. And there was a wedding that took place between Egypt and Assyria and Israel. And it became one family yet again. The wedding simply represents the union, not wedding you know, for, for anything else, but it was a union. And of course, the Chinese, well, they never come without a ring. They brought a ring, and they handed everybody a ring. And on this ring, it says, one family. So we're part of that. We're part of that one family that's a global family that the Lord is knitting together and restoring the family of Egypt, Assyria, and, and Israel, which is the family of Abraham that you and I have been grafted in by faith. The Bible calls us the sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. We've stepped into the same family. So we have the same inheritance. We have the same spiritual DNA. We have the same spiritual desire. And that's what he's doing. So what does this have to do with us as a church? It has everything to do with us as a church. We're part of that big family. We've been adopted into Abraham. There are our brothers and sisters. When Israel and Egypt and Assyria are in conflict, our family is broken. When Iran is coming against Israel, our family is broken. When Egypt is fighting against Saudi Arabia because of political and Islamic things, our family is broken. But the Lord is bringing a restoration to the family, and He's allowing us to experience it here at a a small taste level, but it's to cause impact at a global level. So when we look at this, this is the nugget that the Lord is speaking to us about. That God can make a hero out of of faith out of anyone. You know why? He took this prostitute and he's listed her in Hebrews. Where am I? Oops. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. Now, she wasn't even an Israelite. She wasn't a member of the family of Abraham. She was a prostitute who earned her living by selling her body to men in a city that was corrupt and that was ready for destruction, the city of Jericho. God 
lists her in the chapter of the heroes of faith. And she's written about as being a woman who did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. That's what earned her a place to be listed in the heroes of the faith. There's no one that God will write off. There's no one who's past, who's present, whose history, his family background, her family background. Nothing is too bad for God to work through you and to make a hero of faith out of you. And he wants to do that with you, with me, with us corporately. So when, when I summarize it this way, that God can make a hero of faith out of anyone, no matter their origin... It doesn't matter what historical background you come from, what family background you come from, rich, poor, uh, it doesn't matter. Past, it doesn't matter what your past is. She was a prostitute. Paul was a killer. He went around killing Christians. We saw every one of those women. One was an abused victim. One was... We saw the prostitute. We saw the one that played the prostitute, even though she wasn't. Their sin or their lack of experience. Mary was just a young virgin. You're never too young. You're never too old. You're never too big. You're never too small. God will work with you. And he wants to do that in your life today. Will you say yes to him? Will you give him a yes again? I know you've said yes many times before. But will you give him your yes today? Because it's a constant yes giving. It's a constant, everyday yesing to the Lord. If you do, let's all stand and pray together. Father, we thank you that on this Mother's Day, you remind us of the mothers that have been key women in your bloodline. And Lord, your invitation is not just to mothers, but to every one of us to step into that same place where we can submit to you in our saying yes, saying yes, 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 to see and to, to allow you to do the, the transformation in our lives. There's no one who's too far gone for you to reach. There's no one who's unreachable, and your goodness reaches to everyone. So, Father, as I look across the room, I just ask for your spirit to pour out on each one of us right now. Where we need encouragement, give us encouragement. Where we need hope, Lift us up. Where we are stuck, unstick us. Where we are in mourning, refresh us. Wherever we are, Lord, make us like those five women. Women of character, women of faith, women you are not ashamed to call your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you back here next Sunday or any time between now and then.